You're listening to The Real Wealth Show with Kathy Fetke, the real estate investor's resource. If you're a real estate podcast fan, then you've probably heard of today's guest. Rod Cleef has personally owned and managed over 2,000 properties and has built over 23 businesses. And while that's quite impressive, he actually came from very humble beginnings as an impoverished young Dutch immigrant. And yet he created incredible success in what he calls a rags to riches to rags to riches story. I'm Kathy Fetke and welcome to The Real Well Show. As I said, Rod has built several successful multi-million dollar businesses, but ask him what he's most proud of and he'll tell you about his work as a community philanthropist. Giving back to the community is a major passion, which is why he serves as founder and long-serving president of the Tiny Hands Foundation, a children's charitable foundation. And he's back here with us today on The Real Well Show. So, Rod Cleef, welcome back to The Real Well Show. It is so freaking exciting to be here, Kathy, you know, because you know I think the world of you, and I'm so excited to be back on your show, and let's have some fun today. Well, I just want to get to know you a little bit better. Like, how did you get started being so motivational? Oh, wow. Well, Okay, I, I'm going to go back a long ways because it'll preframe this conversation. So humor me for a minute. So I <laughs> immigrated to this country when I was six years old with my mother's vancha, my brother Albert. We came across on a big ship. I remember my only memory is my mom crying when she saw the Statue of Liberty when we got into New York Harbor. Uh, I was six years old. Yep. Ended up in Denver, Colorado, where we lived for the next 30 years, and I lived for the next 30 years, and we didn't have much, okay? I mean, uh, you know, we, I, I, I wore clothes in the Goodwill and the Salvation Army all the way through junior high school until I got a job and could buy my own clothes, and, you know, we ate expired food. I remember going to the day-old bread store because it was half price and, and powdered milk because my mom thought milk was healthy, and, and <laughs> you know, and, you know, now I, I know there are probably people listening to your show that had it harder than, than we did. But I knew I wanted more. And luckily, my mom had an incredible work ethic. So she babysat kids so that we'd have enough money to eat. And with her babysitting money, when I was 14, she got into real estate. She bought the house across the street from us, from our neighbors, for $30,000 approximately. And when I turned 17, I was getting close to graduating from high school, she told me it had gone up $20,000 in her sleep. And I'm like, what? I'm getting into real estate. You didn't do anything to make that money. And, and so I, I got into real estate right when I turned 18. I actually got my real estate broker's license right when I turned 18, which you could do with education back then. They, they got smart. Now you actually have to have some experience before you come become a broker. But uh, I was a broker when I turned 18 and I was going to be rich in real estate. Well, my first year in real estate, I made about eight grand, maybe, maybe eight or nine grand. My second year, 10, 11 grand, something like that. But my third year, I made over $100,000, which back in 1981 was not a bad chunk of change for a 21-year-old. So what happened between year two and year three? And what happened ties into motivation and mindset. So I met a guy that taught me, and I worked with him for a while, but I I met him and he taught me that psychology and mindset is really 80 to 90% of your success in anything. It's your attitude. It's your ability to take action and not be limited by fear and limiting beliefs. And, and that's what it was. I, I met this guy and he taught me about mindset. And, you know, fast forward to today, I've owned over 2000 houses that I rented long term. I have owned multiple apartment complexes in three states. And, and in 2006, my net worth went up $17 million while I slept, a little more than my mom's 20 grand. And, <laughs> but there's a punchline. 
and when that happens, by the way, Kathy, you know, somebody has that kind of a, a year, you know, if you do the math on it, it's over $8,000 an hour. And of course I did. And I got a head so big, I could barely fit it through the doorway because I thought I was a real estate God. I mean, I made $17 million and I didn't do anything. And you know, when that happens, God or the universe or whatever you believe will give you a smackdown. Well, that was 2008 for me. I, I lost that 17 million, a whole lot more. I lost $50 million in 2008. And you know, it, uh, it was, and I thought I was set for life. You know, I thought 80 million baby boomers moving, you know, that were getting older and getting colder and would, would make Florida recession proof. And little did I know it was ground zero for the recession. And, you know, that in California where you live and, and of course in Vegas, but you know, one of the things that I talk about is the mindset that it took to have 50 million to lose in the first place. And then what it took to actually recover from that and to get back to the success that I enjoy today. Like we've bought, you know, a thousand units this year so far. And so how did I get back? Do you want me to chat about that for a minute? Absolutely. But before we do, I'm just super curious. And I know that our audience probably is too. Here we are 10 years later. Right. Are you afraid that it could happen again? You know, I don't think it's going to happen like 2008. If you ask me, I, you know, real estate goes through cycles. I've been through several of them in my lifetime. And I'll give you an example. Back in the late 80s, I flipped some houses, okay? And there was a house. I remember the address, 3351 West 30th Avenue in Denver, North Denver. And I had bought this house for about 56000 I fixed it up and flipped it in for about 76000 okay? And then the market crashed. I bought that same house back for $18,000. Mm. And then three or four years later, I sold it for one hundred and sixty. dollars oh, And now it's gosh. worth probably a half a million or more. So, so you know, real estate goes through cycles. And, and I've been through several of them. And some have been more painful than others. Now, I, yes, I believe we're going to have a pullback. I do believe there's, there's irrational exuberance happening right now in the marketplace. You know, we put lots of letters of intent, LOIs out on multifamily properties. And sometimes I'm like scratching my head going, what are they thinking what they're paying for that property? How can, you know, there's no way they're going to meet the returns for their investors. And, you know, and they could very well end up losing. A lot of people are out there using bridge debt, which is the, uh, the multifamily equivalent of, of hard money that, you know, those of you in the single family space know what hard money is. You borrow it from a person, you pay a high interest rate and points. Well, bridge loans are, are the multifamily, commercial multifamily equivalent of it. And there are a lot of people, I think, that are positioning themselves for, for some hurt. Yeah. But, uh, you know, that's my opinion. Yes, I do think we are going to have a pullback. Who knows when it's going to happen? Who knows what, you know, what impact Trump will have on it and the election will have on it. And let's not go down the, yeah, that rabbit hole. Um, how are you positioning yourself knowing what you know and yes, having gone question. through what you've gone through? And seeing yeah. all these crazy, crazy performers out there that make no sense. Right. I mean, Ken right. McElroy was on this show too, and he said the same thing. He, he sold the bottom 10% of his portfolio, the least underperforming. He listed them for the highest price. He got them. He got what he wanted. He had, there were multiple offers and same thing. He's scratching his head going, they're not going to, how are they going to make any money? He's, right. he's like, I've right. already pushed it. I've pushed rents as far as they can go. I've already renovated. What, what are they going to do? So right. how are so, you not question. doing that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, good 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 question. And and I will tell you, um we are kissing about 200 frogs to find a deal right now. We have we have LOIs out on 11 properties. And now 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 let me say this. I am kind of in a unique position that I have, you know, over 300 students in my program in my warrior program 
And they they send us deals. Out of those thousand doors we've bought this year, I don't know, probably three-fourths of those. Now, a little over half of those were from students. And so, you know, I'm in a unique position to see a lot of deals, but we are very, very conservative, okay? And that's why we're passing on so many deals. I was just talking to my partner, Robert, this morning after uh, in the middle of my jog about the fact that it's frustrating that we don't have anything under contract right now. And, and But we, we both realize that, you know, there's stupid stuff happening and, and we're usually, we're always in the, you know, near the top 10%, but then people come in and they, they pay more than we can imagine. And so here's what we're doing now. Now we're, we stress test every deal. So for example, let me give you some examples of that. Uh, and these are really simple. Uh, one of them is if the property won't cash flow, break even at 25% vacant, um, day one for us, we won't buy it. Okay. So that's number one. Number two, in our pro forma, if the property doesn't break even at 35% vacant in five years, we won't do the deal. We've done deals, and I was mentioning this to you, I think, before we started recording. We did a deal in Dallas at 65% loan to value and still had, we're looking at a 10% cash on cash return over the five-year period annualized and, and in the 20s for the, for the internal rate of return. And that's very, very conservative, okay? And I'll give you another example. Uh, we had a deal in uh, Beaver Creek, Ohio, and this, regretfully, this property just got destroyed by a tornado. Thank God nobody died uh, uh, and no children were injured, but uh, all 101 families had to move. But this particular property, we're going to have rent increases of $500, okay? Yeah. So, you know, I mean, to do the math on that at a six cap, and this will be an A asset, so it's probably going to be a five cap, but even at a six cap, that's a $10 million increase in value, okay? Yeah. I don't think we have a single property that we're not going to get about a $180 to 200 plus in rent increase. I'll give you one more example. You know, uh, we bought a property in Shreveport, Louisiana, not a market I would normally buy in. But this property, the seller paid 20 million 10 years ago. We paid 16 and a half uh, about four or five months ago. Okay, now why did we get it so cheap? Because it was 70% occupied, okay? which is a red flag, massive red flag. But then when we went there and looked at it, we're like, okay, this is obvious. This is the most horribly managed asset I, I've seen in a long time. It was head scratching stupid on the management. <laughs> and, and, and the property next door was 100% occupied. So it wasn't the market, it was the management and, and, and they'd ran this thing into the ground. So all we have to do without even raising the rents, all we have to do is get it up to 90% occupied We've overnight increased the value of about $8 million, okay, just by getting the occupancy up, which is why we love this freaking business, okay? That's yeah. why we love multifamily, commercial multifamily. But now the other thing we do besides stress testing, and I, I kind of went off on a tangent there, the other thing we do is we have big operating reserves. Like on that Shreveport property, we've got a million dollars in the bank just in case, okay? On the Dallas property, which was 90, you know, it's, it's, it's been tracking about 100% occupied. It was 95 when, or 96 when we bought it. And we've got a half a million in the bank on that property. Okay, so it's not just the stress testing to be safe. It's also big, deep pockets, you know, just in case, you know, if, if we have a hurdle, we like to have at least six months operating reserve in the bank. So I don't know if that answered your question, but that's how we do it. Yeah, incredible. And that's what we do too. It's, or, right. you know, if we're going to do any deals moving forward, there are deals out there, they're harder right. to find. But you have oh, to much know, harder, yeah. you've got to have your underwriting criteria in place and not stray from it. And stick with it. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. And absolutely stick with it. Yeah. You know, so back to my comment about, you know, the mindset that it took to recover and to get there in the first place. The way I was able to get 
to have 50 million to lose in the first place and then and then to recover from losing it was knowing exactly what I want and and more importantly why I want it okay so we do a goal setting workshop but unlike you know your average sit down write down a few goals and forget about them after a month um uh, you know so if you're listening and you have the ability to um to take a couple notes let me take 2 minutes Kathy if you'll humor me and just walk through at a high level what we do in an hour and I think it'll really add value to your listeners. If it's okay, I'll do that. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So guys, what you do is you pick an hour when you have a lot of energy. Don't do it after a meal. Make sure you're well hydrated and sit down and write down everything you could ever possibly want in life. Okay. All the stuff. Start with the stuff. You know, the houses, the boats, the cars, the jet skis, the planes, you know, and whatever it is. Now, listen, it's really important that you don't limit yourself. Take the lid off your brain. You are only limited by your own thoughts. So if there's something that just seems almost unthinkable for you to get, write it down anyway. Because what that does is it starts the process. It, just simply writing down your goals triggers something in your mind. It's this filter in your brain called the reticular activating system. And what that is, is it's that filter that filters out all the noise so that the that subconsciously helps you hone in on what it, it thinks is most important to you. And the greatest example of that that I can think of is when you first buy a car. You never really notice that vehicle that much, but when you buy them, you see them everywhere. Were they there before? Of course they were. And that's your reticular activating system at work. And by writing your goals down, it starts that process. Now, you want to write down how much money you want in the bank in a few years, how much you want in 10 years. You want to write down things like what you want in cash flow in a few years, say three years, and what you want in 10 years. And again, don't limit yourself. People, Kathy, spend more time planning Christmas or a birthday party than they do designing their lives. This is a part of designing your life. So just keep writing. If you're an analytical person, don't stop to analyze it. Just keep writing. Don't let the pen leave the paper. You can always scratch it out later, but just free flow with everything you could ever possibly want. Then when you can't think of another thing, write down what you want to learn in this lifetime. So me, I'm going to learn how to play the drums. I'm going to learn how to fly a helicopter. Those are my things. What do you want to learn? Maybe a foreign language, you know, maybe multifamily real estate, maybe real estate in general, whatever it is, write it down. Then also write down who you want to help. Okay, you know, who, maybe family, maybe friends, who do you want to help? I bought my parents a house here on a canal in Florida. I bought them a car, took them on cruises. Who do you want to do something for? So write it down. So it's everything you want to do, be, or have. All right, now, once you can't think of another thing, then now you've got a bunch of dreams on your piece of paper. They become real goals and outcomes when they're measurable. So I want you to put a time limit on each goal. Put a number by each goal. How many years it's going to take you to achieve it? Put a one, a three, a five, even a 10, even a 20 for that matter. Recognizing that as human beings, we might overestimate what we can accomplish in a year, but we massively underestimate what we can do in a decade or 20 years. I'll give you an example. When I was 18, I lived in Denver, but I knew I wanted to live on the beach and there's no beach in Denver. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I visualized, I had palm trees. I, I loved seeing palm trees and pictures of the beach. And I ended up building an $8 million, 10,000 square foot mansion on the beach here in, in Sarasota, uh, where I owned the beach on one side. It was called a Gulf to Bay. And on the back side, I had my boat lifts and a boathouse. And it was unthinkable when I was 18. So, but so, so again, don't take, don't be limited by, you know, if, if you can imagine it, you can create it. So, so write it down, put a time limit on each goal. All right. Now there's just a couple more quick steps. 
I want you to look at that list and pick your number one goal. I mean, that goal, when you get it, you're like, oh my God, this is amazing. That goal, pick that one, write it on a separate sheet of paper. Now, if there's two or three that are equally exciting, just pick one. It won't matter for what we're doing next. Now, I also want you to pick your top three one-year goals. Put those on another piece of paper. So now you've got four of your goals written on a piece of paper. The goals are very, very important. The goals will propel you and push you and pull you and, and make you take action. But what really gets the lead out and gets you to push through fear and get uncomfortable is, and, and, and by the way, you need to be a little bit uncomfortable to achieve anything in this world. Uh, you know, that magnificent life of your dreams is right on the other side of some discomfort, okay? <laughs> um, but what makes that happen is knowing why your goals are an absolute freaking must, okay? So you need to write a paragraph for each goal why it's an absolute must for you to achieve it. Things like, you know, so I can show my spouse what success looks like so that we can live the life of our dreams. So I can show my children what success looks like so we can go do whatever we want, wherever we want, bring whoever we want, do it whenever we want. Whatever it is for you, write that down and use emotionally charged words. Words are incredibly powerful. Use words like amazing, incredible, unbelievable, magnificent because words will move you. So write a positive reason why for each one of those goals, it's an absolute must. But then the last piece there is you've got to put some pain in there. If you don't achieve the goal, put some pain if you don't achieve it. Things like, so I don't, you know, if I don't reach this goal, so I don't feel like a failure. So I don't live a life of regret. So I don't fail my children. So I don't fail my spouse. And I know that sounds tough, but, but people will do more to avoid pain than gain pleasure. And this is the fuel, guys. This is what gets you out of bed early in the morning and, and gets you to stay up late at night and gets you back up when you get your butt kicked, which you inevitably will. You're going to get your nose bloodied. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And if you know exactly what you want and why you want it, this is what got me out from underneath a rock after a couple months of the My Pity Party in 2008 and 2009 to get back up and, and make it happen again. And so, so guys, the, it's, it's not just knowing what you want with crystal clarity. And that's why you should do this, by the way. I recommend you write your goals down regularly and you rethink them at least quarterly because they will evolve and you'll get, they'll become more clear. And clarity is power. The more clear they are, the faster they're going to come into your life. But it's the whys that will really propel you. Last piece, and then we're done with this. Last piece, you must get pictures of your goals. Let me give you some, let me tell you why. Because I'll give you a public example since you're in California. Uh, a great example, uh, a Jim Carrey wrote himself a check for $10 million when he was flat broke. And he used to carry it in his wallet. He'd go up by the Hollywood sign and he'd look at it and he'd visualize cashing it. And that's how much money he made for Dumb and Dumber. Okay. Olympic athletes, they all now, the Russians started this, but they all do it now. Every one of them visualizes the race in its entirety before they run it because it's been proven to enhance performance. I'll give you my personal examples. When I was 18, I, you know, I got my real estate broker's license. I was going to get rich and sell other people's houses. And so I got a four-door car. I got this Ford four-door Granada, ugliest freaking thing you ever saw in your life. Bench seats in the front, gray, just hideous. But you know, I figured I had to have a four-door because I was going to be rich and be a real estate broker. <laughs> well, I worked with a guy that had a couple of Corvettes and he let me drive one. And, and that's a key piece as well. If there's something that you want, experience it, test drive the car, go to the open house of the house you want, you know, just get it, try to immerse yourself in the experience of it as much as you possibly can. 
So I got a picture of a Corvette out of a magazine. And this is before, you know, the internet had even been thought of yet. So I got it out of a magazine and I taped it to the visor of my four-door, this bone-ugly Granada. Every time I got in, I could see it right there at the bottom of my visor. Within a year or two, I had a beautiful Corvette. I want to give you a couple more examples, but I want to preframe this by saying this is not me bragging because these things don't even interest me anymore, but, but they're really great for illustrative purposes. So this is back when the TV show Magnum P.I. was out. Actor's name was um, Tom Selleck, and he drove this Ferrari 308, and I thought that was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. So I got a picture of that actual car out of a magazine and put it on the visor of my Corvette. Within a couple years, I had a Maserati look just like it. Last example, car example again. I'm the guy that always wanted a Lamborghini. Okay, I had the posters on my bedroom wall of the Lamborghini. It was the Countach was the, the model back then, Lamborghini Countach you know, with the bikini girls and all of that. I had all that in my bedroom when I was growing up. And, and uh, what's interesting is when my son was about eight or nine years old, he collected models of exotic cars. He had, I don't know, 30 or 40 of them. And I still have this model. He had a model of the exact same color and style Lamborghini that I ended up buying, which I ultimately wrecked. But, but the point is, the point is- <laughs> And you is, ended up with a gorgeous bikini girl wife. <laughs> yes, I did. Yes, she is. Yes, she is. You know, it's really funny. It's really funny on that note. If you Google my name, you know how, how Google will auto-populate behind your name? The, the, the most searched term is Rod Cleef wife. <laughs> You know what mine is? Kathy Fetke daughters. <laughs> oh, that, no kidding. Oh, that's hilarious. Because they're hilarious. pretty cute. Awesome. awesome. That's funny. Well, anyway, so so guys, the pictures work. You know, I've got a I've got a planner. And if we were doing this on video, I could show you in the back of this thing. I've got pictures that have been here 20 years and they're in plastic. Uh, I'm looking at them right now. And and the first pictures are my gratitude pictures. And that's a really important piece, guys. You know, if you if you're going to do vision boards or have pictures, make sure you've got gratitude pictures because it's foundational. Everything starts from that foundation of gratitude. So I've got pictures of my kids when they were very young. And these pictures have been in here for 20 years in the back of this planner. I'm a dinosaur. I use a paper planner. It's Franklin Covey. It used to be daytime. Oh, my gosh. But, you're still using a Franklin Covey. Oh, I'm yeah, impressed. Yeah, I, 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 <laughs> I, lo I love it. I love it. I just like to handwrite what I'm going to do. But yeah. but I use Outlook and all that crap, too. But, but I like this planner. And in this, I've got pictures of houses that I thought I wanted. And what's crazy is the, the pictures look just like the house that I built on the beach. Mm. And now the, the, on the same page, there's pictures that look just like the compound that I live in now. I live in this incredible compound. I've got six buildings, I've got a giant main house. I've got like well, five cars of garages and two separate garages. I've got a media building with a video studio and a, a theater room. I've got an exercise facility. I've got a two bedroom guest house on the water. It's just spectacular. And because God's got a sense of humor, I can see that big house I was talking about that I built on the beach that I lost um, across the bay. It's literally right out my backyard. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, funny. Um, but, but anyway, and then I've got pictures of these other things that I wanted, the Lamborghini before I ever got it, the Rolls Royce, all this stuff that I got because I had pictures. So guys, don't underestimate the power of having, and if you looked around my office now, you'd see pictures of the things that matter to me now. And I've got vision boards and I use them regularly. You know, because visualization works, guys. So I, I know I lost a few of the analytical ones on this, but I'm telling you to your peril because this stuff absolutely no, does work. No, it works. Work. It definitely yeah. works. I want to have an event where we just do that. We just uh, cut yeah. out pictures and and uh, love it. You know, it it it's how I found my husband. I was a, I no wrote kidding. down in complete detail every single thing. It was a full page of everything I wanted and. I met him about two months later, and I check off every box he fit, every single that one. That is so <laughs> funny you said that, because 
I teach, I teach my students the exact same thing. And I did before I met Tiffy, I have, I have like eight pages. I mean, every single emotion I was looking for, every quality I was looking for, the things that I wasn't looking for. No, actually I didn't put what I wasn't looking for. Cause you, you'd never want to put, you don't want to attract what, that. Yeah. Right. You, you want to attract what you want. Uh, but, but that's so funny you say that because I, 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 I do the same. I did the exact same thing. The minute I met her, I knew it was her because I, 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 it was so clear in my head. Funny. That's, that's crazy. I want to ask you a question. I don't, I bet you haven't been asked before. It's, it's okay. an interesting balancing act of believing. It's almost like you have to inflate, not, not the ego, but you've got to really puff up to have the energy to go after dreams, especially when you've been knocked down. But then at the same time, you've got to stay humble uh, because that can get in your way too. So how do you balance this dreaming Ooh. with humility so that you don't get knocked down again? That is such a great question. Because, you know, you see some of these people, um, I use Trump as an example, not just because he came to mind. And, you know, some of the luminaries that are out there are so, there's so much ego. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least it looks like ego. It could be, just be confidence, but it looks like ego, even from someone like me. <laughs> and, you know, I, 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 I think sometimes, I, I will tell you, I think sometimes I even downplay my successes just because I don't want to be that guy. And, you know, and, and it's, it is such a balancing act because I want to be authentic. You know, I do my three-day live events, and I did my first one. Let me just say this. I did my first event. It was 50 people in Sarasota here. I did it for free just to see if I'd like it. It was a one-day event, and I did it in a jacket and these black, shiny shoes, and I was freaking miserable the whole day, miserable. Mm-hmm. So now I do my three-day events in, in jeans, uh, a black V-neck T-shirt, and flip-flops, and people <laughs> just crack up. But it's, it, it's, it's who I am. And now I like nice things. I love to travel and, and, and I, I still have pretty amazing cars and stuff. But, but the point is, you know, it is a balancing act and I don't want to be that. I, I could name so many names. I'm not going to do that. If people I've had on my show, even that, that, that are like, I don't want to be, um, because they're so full of themselves. And, and let me, in fact, let me share a story with you, Kathy, because it ties into this. Okay. So, so, uh, and it ties into goals as well. So this, so this is perfect. So you know, I built that house on the beach. Okay. Uh, this 10,000 square foot, I mean, incredible home. Uh, I mean, let me describe it. Okay. And it had a spiral staircase up through the middle elevator, of course, wine cellar. There was a giant waterfall from the second floor balcony into the pool. You had, there was enough foliage and trees. I spent, I don't know, 20, 30 grand on trees that lifted, that went out over the pool. You had to walk through the waterfall to get in the pool. (laughs) I mean, on the second, on the second floor, there was an aquarium that went around the staircase. The aquarium was almost 200 grand. So that gives you an idea. Okay. Okay. All right. So, so, (laughs) and I, and I'd worked on this thing for 20 years. Okay. Two months after I built it, I'm in the pool at night. My fan, two months after I built it, I'm in the pool. It's changing colors at night because it's got fiber optic lighting and the waterfalls are going a waterfall up from my spawn of the pool as well. Two waterfalls. And I'm looking up at this testament to my ego, which is really what it was. It was to prove to the world I was good enough. It was to prove to the world I mattered. I, you know, it was, it was, and that's what I'd focused on was, was, was proving my net, proving my worth. Okay. And, and that's proving the truth your worth of it. through so, your net worth. Yeah. Well, well, yeah, mm-hmm. I was, tr- I was proving myself because, you know, society kind of makes people, especially men feel that they need to do that. But for me, it was, there were a lot of childhood things that contributed to this, but that's, that's the truth of it. And I'd been totally focused on me. And so I'm looking up at this testament to my ego and I, two months after I built it, I got depressed and I mean, I really got depressed. I mean, it wasn't just like bummed out. I was really bummed out. And I'm like, what the hell? How could I be bummed out? I've achieved 
success by a, you know, a thousand X what society expects and I'm feeling bad. So I went out and bought some books and one of them was Tony Robbins book. And, you know, I'm, I'm blessed to say I've spent 20 years following him around the planet because his technology is fantastic. But I went to his event, this is 20 years ago, and I saw that he fed families for the holidays. And again, I had been totally focused on Rod and I'm like, that's really cool. And I think he's done like, I don't know, tens of millions of people fed in, through his charity. But I come home and I decide to feed five families and my brother and I, and we called a church. We said, who really needs help? And this was for Thanksgiving. And what's cool is we're about to do this again in two weeks here um, uh, with my mastermind. We're going to do this Saturday after the mastermind uh, and do and feed, uh, I think, 1,500 families. But, but, but the, the point is I fed five families that year and I'm getting ahead of myself. But, mm -hmm. but the third family changed my life. Okay. We, we go up to this house and it was a shotgun house. And I don't know if you haven't bought any really old properties, you listening, you wouldn't know what this means, but what it means is like you walk into the living room, you have to walk through the bedroom to get to the kitchen and then the bathroom's off the kitchen. So it's, it's, it's a one bedroom, but it's a crappy one bedroom because you got to walk through the bedroom to get to the kitchen. All right. Well, in this place was a lady with five kids. So I bought, you know, bought toys for the kids, bought a frozen turkey, you know, big, big box of food. Now we put it in baskets. But, but, you know, she came out, she saw the food and she started crying. Her kids came out. A couple of them started crying. I started crying and I was hooked. And I'm blessed to say in the last 20 years, we have fed 70,000 children for the holidays. Mm. We've done We've done, I don't know, probably pushing 20,000 backpacks filled with school supplies, tens of thousands of teddy bears to the local police departments for their officers to keep in their car if they encounter a child that's been traumatized. And so you ask me, and it's been my greatest gift in life, and, you, and it's added a richness to my life. So let me say this to those of you listening, that I know if you're listening to Kathy, you want financial success. And I'm here to tell you that financial success without that component is not success. I've interviewed guys on my show that are extremely wealthy that I recognize are exactly like I was back then, you know, when I built that house, totally focused on themselves, narcissistic, not giving back in any way. And guys, that's not success. I don't care how many millions you've got. That's not success. So if you're listening and you're thinking, well, that sounds great. And when I have a lot of money, I'll, do, I'll give back. That's the wrong answer. You need to start giving back now. I don't care if you adopt one family, you help one child, you do something that you're passionate about. It doesn't matter what it is. If it, if it makes you almost tear up when you're, when you're doing it, that's it, okay? It can be the environment. It can be animals. It can be children. It can be the elderly. Whatever it is, find something and stand for something that's bigger than you are because otherwise it's not success. And I will tell you, when you do that, even if you're not where you want to be financially, it will enhance and increase your speed to that success. 100%. It, it will. Yeah. You know, we were giving away all of our educational modules for $10 a month with all of the $10 going to charity. And we nice. still had, well, you know, I thought it would be, but we still had pushback from people who didn't want to, you know, they didn't, I guess, see the value in, in giving <laughs> that. So, um, you know, I, you know, I, and, and it was scary. <laughs> and what's sad is you see these people and they're older in some cases, they're mm. in their fifties, sixties, and they still haven't got the memo. Yeah. You know, everything in this universe has to contribute, or frankly, it's eliminated, okay? Anything on this earth you know, that's, that's alive, if it doesn't contribute to the whole in some fashion, gets eliminated. Humans are no different. It's a basic human need to contribute beyond ourselves. So, yeah. you know, uh, you know it, it's something I'm very passionate about. But, but oh, th by the way, 
I, I, I forgot to mention the other piece. When I was really depressed, there was another piece that I forgot to mention, and that is the other piece besides the fact that I was successful but I was unfulfilled, okay? And Tony Robbins calls it the science of achievement versus the art of fulfillment because achievement mm. is a science, fulfillment is an art. But the other piece was I'd reached this major goal and I didn't have any other goals lined up behind it. You know, like the good book says, without a vision, the people perish. You've got to have a vision for the future. So, you know, guys, you know, be very careful. If you're about to achieve a big goal, make sure you've got other goals lined up behind it because you, otherwise you, you are going to go through what I went through and, and really be unhappy or uncomfortable because you have to have a vision for the future. So. Yeah, absolutely. So again, I'll, I'll say what I see a lot out there is a lot of people bragging about the number of doors they own, the number of right. properties they own. And what I want to hear people bragging about is what they're doing with their lives that brings them happiness. Love it. Love it. That's a great question. Love it. And so many people aren't in tune to their happiness. And it's such a simple answer, Kathy. If you want to be happy, spread happiness. You want love? Spread love. Whatever you give, you get. Same thing with money, frankly. You want money? Give money. Give of your time. Give of yourself because it'll come, it comes back to you a hundredfold. Do you agree? A hundred percent. Absolutely. Yeah. It basically opens the nozzle. Yeah. No, no question. It just comes flowing. You've got to be able to give to get. Absolutely. I agree. I love it. And you have given so much. Thank you. No, thank you. It's such a treat. So good to have you here. And I really look forward to seeing you in January. Likewise. Talk soon, Kathy. Thank you. And thank you for joining me here on The Real Wealth Show. You can listen to this and any past episodes at realwealthshow.com.